so we are in a series about questions. And uh, as I get started, I'm going to ramble a little bit. So just put up with the attention challenges that your pastor has. But first, I want to pray for some people. We just sent a group of middle schoolers uh, to the southern border to try to make a difference with the uh, uh, refugees that are uh, down there. Uh, we are sending 10 of us to New Orleans this week to uh, attend the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. And this year, it's a very important uh, uh, convention that could directly affect our church. And so we uh, would love for you to pray about that. Robert is already at First Baptist New Orleans, giving them a little taste of DBC this morning. Uh, he's leading worship for uh, First Baptist Church of New Orleans uh, Brian and John are already on their way. Speaking of John, he led worship this morning uh, for the 8.30 service. Ashley is our uh, director of our tech team, and uh, you heard her voice. We have a pretty deep bench here at DBC. I'm about the only one who can only do one thing. And uh, so if you'll just put up with this for the next few minutes, we're going to tear apart another question that Jesus asked. Now, the question that we're going to do today, uh, I don't have the back screen, just uh, FYI. I don't have that one at all. And uh, apparently, I don't have this either. I really can only do one thing. The question I want to deal with this morning is, whom do you seek? Better way to say it, what are you looking for? You know, what, what, what are you looking for? And we're all looking for something, as a matter of fact, a constant question in humanity. What are you looking for? Another pastor in a sermon that I heard said, what is your why? What is your why? What is it that's, that's driving you to get up tomorrow morning? What is it that, 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 that solves the, the problem of getting out of the bed? What is your why? We're all looking for something some explanation, some reason for our existence. And so that's why Jesus asked this question. Now, when we talk about the questions that Jesus asked, I summed it up this way. Jesus's questions tend to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I, I've said that before, and it, it just resonates with me because his, his questions get at us. They, they make us think. They challenge our presuppositions. They, they, they get all in the face of our stereotypes. They, they shake the unexpected and the expected. And that's kind of where I want to go today. He also uses questions to answer attacks. A lot of times he would answer a question with a question. And sometimes his questions didn't seem to make a lot of sense. One of the questions that we'll deal with later on in the summer is when he asks a blind guy, what do you want me to do for you? And you can almost hear the blind guy going, uh, duh, I can't see. But maybe Jesus was asking him, are you ready to take on the responsibilities of sight? Are, are you ready that, that if this is what you're looking for, what are you going to do if you find it? If this is a question for you and, and the answer to the question seems obvious, but maybe it's not so obvious, what is it that you will do with the answer? He comforts the afflicted 
He afflicts the comfortable. And so today I want to talk about that question, what are you looking for? And as it happens a lot when I study, I found some uh, approaches that I hadn't seen before. There was in particular a, a blogger named Leonard de Lorenzo, and he said, look at it this way. The question, what are you looking for, is a thread that runs all the way through the Gospel of John. And I went, okay. He said, look at it this way. There are three very significant times when Jesus asked that question, what are you looking for? And I, and I said, wow, okay, I haven't seen this before. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse, beginning with thir- verse 35. Let me catch up with myself. Beginning with verse 35, this was when he first met disciples. Now, here's, here's the scene. John the Baptist is wandering through the Judean wilderness. Many of us were there last week. And he had some guys that were kind of following him around, among them Andrew and John, two fishermen from the north end of the Sea of Galilee, and they'd found their way down to the south part of Judea, and now they were following John. John saw his cousin, Jesus, coming. He said, you know, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he was saying to these two guys who were schooled in Jewish history, they, they, they were schooled in Jewish prophecy, they knew what they were looking for, and basically John said, you're looking for the Messiah, there he is. And so it's like they're following John, Jesus is going this way, they do a little U-turn, and they begin to follow him, and in my sanctified imagination, I kind of think he sensed their presence and stopped real short, and they ran into the back of him. And he turned around and he said, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And they answered, in, and if I can just take you to New Orleans for a second, we had a saying down there that was an all-purpose saying, where you at? And it didn't regard a physical location. It was an all-encompassing. It's, it's what are you about? What are your plans? What is your purpose? Where you at? And so when they ran into the back of him, he turned around and he said, what are you looking for? They said, where are you staying? Where do you abide? Where, where do you live? What, what are you about? What is your purpose? What is your message? What is your mission? Where you at? And he said, come and you will see. So the very first time in the Gospel of John that he says, what are you looking for? Whom do you seek? It was to disciples who were on the very beginning of the journey, like so many of us, they're, they're trying to figure out what does discipleship look like? What does it mean to love God, love people, make disciples, make a difference? How does it all work out? What is it that I'm looking for? And so he says to us, what are you seeking? He, he makes us challenge whether we're chasing a fad or whether we want a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will shake up everything we're about. He will comfort the afflicted. He will afflict the comfortable. So the next time 
that this shows up, oddly enough, is in John chapter 18. And uh, anybody know what happened in John chapter 18? Here it is. It was when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying the night before he was crucified. We're mostly familiar with the story of how one of his best friends uh, divulged to the location where the, the temple guard could arrest him without a lot of fanfare. It wasn't that he was hiding. It's just that they needed an opportune time when there was not a lot of crowds around. So this band of soldiers, a few weeks ago we talked about Malchus and Jesus restored the ear that Peter cut off. He was there, and, and so all these guys show up, and they confront him, and he says to them, whom do you seek? What are you looking for? So it's crazy. In the, in the first part of the gospel, he's talking to the friendlies, right? He's talking to the ones who, who genuinely want to know. He, he's talking to the ones who are, 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 are saying, we, we think we want to follow you, and he says, who are you looking for? And, and they said, we think we're looking for you. He said, come and see. And now we leap forward a few chapters, and all of a sudden we've got people who were antagonistic to him. They wanted to see him fail. They wanted to see him crucified. They wanted to see him eliminated from, from culture. They wanted to erase this message, get rid of this, this rabble-rousing rabbi who, who, who's shaken up everything about everything. And so even to those who are hostile to him, he says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And they answered rather casually, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. Now, it's a whole nother sermon. Maybe I'll preach it another time. But the words I am were particularly loaded for the Jewish people. For those soldiers who were part of the, the Jewish regiment who was there to pick him up. When, when he said the words I am, he spoke the very name of God. And apparently there was in that moment a sense of, of power or reverence or majesty or something because when he answered them, when he said, what are you looking for? And they threw out a name, Jesus of Nazareth. This, this is a, a bug on the windshield that we just need to get rid of. And then he said, I am. And something about that caused them to fall back in, in recognition that what they were looking for was not what they had found. And that's the case with so many who would start out with an antagonistic kind of approach to, to Jesus, to faith, to discipleship. Let me, C.S. Lewis, let me disprove this thing. Let me once and for all rationally eliminate any possibility that Jesus was real, and he ends up becoming a follower of Christ. So the second time that Jesus said, what are you looking for, was amidst those who would try to harm him. The third time is the one that I want to look at a little bit today. 
introduce to you from John chapter 20, a woman named Mary Magdalene. You've probably heard of her, Mary of Magdala. We went to that place. Uh, It's a brand new excavation site in Israel, and it's incredibly exciting to to see the synagogues being unearthed, the the, the pedestal that the, the altar sat on. And to find a, a little town on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee called Magdala, which is Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. The church for years pictured her as a prostitute. Uh, that was never really a thing. It was just a, an announcement that Pope Gregory made in about 500 the 1969, the, the Pope said, hey, we're just kidding all these years. She wasn't uh, that. She was a devout follower of Christ. She was one of the women who followed him and, and one they called a disciple. And, and she was the first to understand the impact of the resurrection. And that's the story that we deal with today. So whether you picture yourself as a disciple who's just trying to figure it out, a skeptic who may come with some issues, or maybe a person who's struggling because a lot of people have said some things about you that might not be true, answer the question with me, what are you looking for? So we dive into the Scripture, chapter twenty. Verse 1, this is a real interesting scripture because we get the introduction to the story, and then it's interrupted, and then we get the rest of the story. It's possible that a couple of different traditions were kind of mashed together, or it's quite possible that John, who's writing his own story here, introduces Mary Magdalene with the, the intent of telling her story, but then he remembers something really cool that happened with him. And so the the Scripture says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Interesting, by the time John wrote this, the first day of the week for Christians was Sunday. Uh, We kind of miss that because the events happened while there was no such thing as Easter because this is the first Easter. And so on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath was over, on that, on that Sunday, which Christians now celebrate as the first day of the week, Mary went and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She did what she knew how to do. She ran to find Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, when you read that in John, that's always John. It's a little bit of humility, and there's a, an ironic twist to that in just a minute, so stay tuned said, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, said, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Now, now she, she believes that his body has been stolen. So Peter went out with the other disciple, still referring to himself in the third person. <laughs> and here's where the humility ends. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. So I'm humble, but I'm fast. <laughs> Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. 
they saw the linen cloths lying there. In other words, the grave clothes. When Jesus was taken down off the cross, they hastily put a sort of a shroud around him because they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath, which started at 6 p.m. on Friday. And so they hastily took him down. They laid him on a, a place of preparation, and then that was, that, that was closed up, sealed with Pilate. Another sermon later on, probably Easter. And they left him. So on this first day of the week, when the Sabbath is over, she's going to go finish the job. She's single-minded on that task. I've got to finish preparing his body. I've got to show my devotion to my Lord. I've got to do this. I've got to, got to, got to, got to. She was obsessed with it. So she didn't notice that all the things that they wrapped around him on Friday night were neatly folded. And you're going... You and I would go, how does that happen? But she was so wrapped up in her grief and her need to finish that task that she couldn't get anything else out of her mind. So she says, now we, we, we the, says the disciples ran, sorry, verse 8, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, John, also went in and he saw and believed. We're not sure what he saw. We're not sure what he believed. But he was beginning to get the idea that this resurrection story is a real thing. He's not here. There's the grave clothes. Nobody would go steal a body and say, we got to get out of here. But first, let me fold some things. I mean, we can't get men to fold anything any time. So it's unlikely that they would have done that. They're kind of putting the puzzle pieces together. Now back to Mary. But Mary stood there after these guys left, weeping outside the tomb. So the word weeping, verse 11, verse 13, verse 15. It's three times it says that she was weeping. They want to make sure we understand she's not just a few sniveling tears. She is mourning she is in full-scale wail. She is distraught. She can't see anything. Her face is swollen. Her eyes are puffy. She can't see anything. She can't hear anything. She is completely out of control with grief. And now she can't do what it is that she was called to do. So, if we take this and run with it, she was seeking the Jesus she thought she knew. She had an idea of what Jesus was supposed to be. She had a, a thought. He, he, he was human. He was compassionate. He did miracles occasionally. He taught with great wisdom. He always knew what to say to the religious leaders. He, he cared for children. He took care. Of, I, I'm, I'm coming to honor him. Now, I don't know what the translation would be today. Maybe we think of Jesus as Mr. Rogers or, or, or some kind, benevolent teacher, maybe a, a, a good friend, that 3 a.m. friend that you can always call. When I pray, I, I feel better. 
when I, when I see his pictures at vacation Bible school as a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Caucasian, uh, I, I'm somehow comforted by that, even though none of that's true. By the way, what our kids saw in Bible school was amazing. Uh, you talk about a deep bench. If you weren't here, you missed Gary McIntyre teaching 70s dance moves. I'm just saying. Over 650 people here on an average, 35 children indicated a decision to follow Christ. But here's the deal. Bridget is not really wanting me to talk about that much because she insists on talking to every single parent to make sure that the child knew what they were doing. We have an incredible team here. But back to Mary. She shows up. She's wailing. She's got a task. She is attached to the Jesus she thought she knew. And so many of us do the same thing. As long as I can keep him in his box, I'll pray to him at mealtimes. I'll I'll ask him for help when somebody's in the hospital. Uh, Jesus is made in my image, but he won't stay there because he refuses to be predictable. We sing a song. I don't know if you've been around church a long time. You sing a song at Christmas, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I think Mary was singing a different hymn, Come Thou Long Unexpected Jesus, because he wasn't conforming to any of the norms. He's not there in the grave. And now all of a sudden there's a conversation that's going on. She's still weeping outside the tomb. Scripture verse 11, chapter 20. She wept. She stopped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels. Now keep in mind that's John's interpretation much later. She saw a couple of people in radiant white clothing. Now, Many, many scholars believe that at least one of those was Jesus, that that, that, that was the resurrected Jesus she saw. He was kind of giving her a, a, a hand up, is saying, hey, let's connect the dots here. But she saw these angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they took away my Lord. I do not know where they laid him. Now, we miss entirely the part that she's conversing with angels, and there's apparently not a problem with it. Having said this, she turned around, and and what we get here is that it's not that she's spinning around in a tomb. It's just that she said what she had to say to the angels, and then she started to turn away. I think one of them started speaking. And she heard, she processed the the voice, and he said, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord. Jesus said, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? What are you looking for? You're here among the dead. Are, Are you looking for somebody who's dead? You're here among the, the grave clothes. Are, are you looking for grave clothes? 
You're here among the, the final. You're, you're here among the, the, this is the last stop. Are, are you looking for a relationship that's now ended? You walked with him. You talked with him along life's narrow way. You, you were with him there. And now you saw him crucified. You saw him buried. You come to prepare his body. Is that what you're looking for? You're looking for a dead faith? Why are you, what are you looking for? And then she says something interesting. If you have carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. Now, I've never in my life pictured Mary Magdalene as a woman who could pick up Jesus and carry him someplace. But she's out of her mind. She says, I'll I'll, I'll carry him. I'll throw him over my shoulder and go take care of him. Missing the boat. Don't miss this. Don't miss this part. Jesus said to her, Mary. The real translation is the Hebrew or the Aramaic Miriam. It's, a, it's an affectionate uh, uh, term that, that perhaps she had called her before. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, or, or better said, it means my teacher. My teacher. So they said, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? She stood outside the tomb. Okay, can you guys advance that? I'm not doing well here. There we go. We'll just leave it there. She said, where are they taking him? And he said her name. Anybody remember that back in John chapter 10, there was a a statement where it says that he knows his sheep, and they know him, and they come at the sound of his voice. There's a transaction here that's happened where she's lost, she's weeping, she's mourning, she's looking for a Jesus that she thought she knew, she's looking for a Jesus that she expected, and now all of a sudden she doesn't find that. And she just keeps rattling on, and then he says her name, Mary. And all of a sudden, the scales fall away. The relationship is restored, and she begins to understand that this is not the one who died. This is the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. Still developing. She hadn't got it all together. John looked in, he began to believe he doesn't have it all together. None of us have it all together. But here she goes, and she responds to the sound of his voice. Well, the story doesn't end there. Kind of have to circle back around, and we'll just do this one more thing. Jesus gave her some instructions. He said, uh, what you need to do is stop touching me, stop holding on to me. And, and, and if you read that and you go, oh, she couldn't hold on to his angelic body. No, no, no. He was telling her, hey, listen, the rules have changed. I'm not going to be around forever. 
you got to stop holding on to the Jesus you thought you knew. you got to stop holding on to the Jesus you expected. you got to start holding on to the Jesus that blows your mind. And I will send a Holy Spirit who will comfort you, who will guide you, who will counsel you now and forever. You can't hold on to the past. And he said, now go tell the guys. The first person who understood his resurrection was a woman. The first person who evangelized about the risen Lord was Mary Magdalene, a woman who had previously had demons cast out of her. She goes to tell the others, and that's where the thread ends. That's the last time we see who are you looking for. But I want to take some license here because I think there's a fourth Later on in this same passage of Scripture, it says that Jesus that night, Easter night, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room. We went there too. And they were all there except for Thomas. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there. It doesn't really make a difference. It's just that Thomas wasn't there after Jesus left. They said, hey, Jesus hung out here. And he said, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I touch the nail prints and feel the side. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room. And I can almost hear him say to Thomas, what are you looking for? What is it that you need in order to be the disciple that I've called you to be? What, what, what proof do you need? Okay, if you want to touch the nail prints. We don't know if Thomas ever did. But what Thomas did was to give all of us the answer to that question, what are you looking for? Because when he saw Jesus, when he heard his voice, he said, my Lord and my God. Look at the instructions that Jesus gave to Mary. Verse 17, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Thomas didn't have that information. He wasn't there when she came to tell the disciples. And yet the intuitive response of a disciple who understands that he is at the end of himself, he has confessed his doubt for all of the world, for all of perpetuity, he is doubting Thomas. And he's just like us, whether it's a disciple that's just checking it out, whether it's antagonistic towards Jesus, where it's a devoted disciple just trying to figure out who Jesus really is. The answer is the same. What are you looking for? My Lord, my God. Not Mr. Rogers, not the fix-it guy, not the best friend, not the cosmic counselor, the King of Kings the Lord of Lords. John kind of understood this. By the time he wrote this, he'd already written chapter 1 in John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there was nothing made that he didn't make. He, he understood that this, 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 this collection of folded garments in the tomb that he saw and believed meant that he was worshiping, he was following, he was hooking his wagon to the king of kings, the one who would forgive him of his sins, the one who would deliver him from his anxiety, the one who would walk with him forever. 
Sometimes we have a too small version of Jesus. We have a Jesus that's made in our own image. We have a Jesus that we expect, somebody who's comfortable. But what we should say when somebody says to us, tell me about this Jesus that you follow. (laughs) Glad you ask. He is earth-shaking, heaven-assuring, hell-shattering, death-defeating. That's my Jesus. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And if you came into this place expecting some kind of a benign Jesus who was just going to show you a good time, not the right Jesus. He will mess you up. Whether with his questions, with his challenges, with his instructions. Do you notice how quickly Mary forgot about the need to anoint his body? Because nobody anoints a body that's still alive. I've said this before, Jesus is the only one in history that's ever borrowed a tomb and given it back. And now we have this this picture that runs all the way through John, and it starts with disciples. Who do you say, who are you looking for? Where are you staying? Where are you at? What are you about? All the way to Mary. What are you looking for? All the way to Thomas. I have found what I'm looking for. Would you bow your heads with me? I wonder if today you might find what you're looking for. I wonder if today you might see a volunteer in the lobby or a pastor and say, I'm looking for that Jesus. I'm not looking for a therapist. I'm I'm looking for the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what I'm looking for. And through songs and through words and through Scripture and through friends and through environment, I I think I'm on the right track. What are you looking for? Whom do you seek? If that's your question today, we want to answer it or at least start the conversation. If that's your question today, then out in the lobby, there are volunteers at the volunteer desk who will take you to a private place uh, where your questions can be heard, connect you with a pastor. If you're online watching this, and I hope you are, Pastor Gary will interact with you and get that conversation started. Whom do you see? Father in heaven, guide us this day. Give us wisdom in the things that we do. Let us be challenged, disturbed by the questions you ask that we would go away from here saying, my Lord and my God. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.